This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It seems like just about every major national or international issue in the news comes down to the intelligence community playing a key role or at least being rumored to play a key role. Well, I am thrilled to welcome back to the program a gentleman who is the most seasoned intelligence officer, the most accomplished intelligence officer that I've ever had the privilege of interviewing. In addition to being an analyst and a case officer for the CIA, he served as a senior investigator for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He was a counterterrorism consultant for ABC News. And along the way, he managed to become the first CIA officer to be convicted of passing classified information to a reporter and was actually sentenced to 30 months in prison. These days, he's a journalist and an author. His new book is Lying and Lie Detection, a CIA Insider's Guide. Welcome back to the program, John Kiriakou. John, thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Frank. So good to be with you again. John, uh, I mentioned that you were sentenced to 30 months in prison for passing uh, classified information to a reporter. I certainly think, and we've talked about your case a number of times, that you made the right decision and a very brave one. Now, uh, President Trump is actually in a bit of hot water for his handling of classified information. I'm curious, with that with that case specifically, the Mar-a-Lago documents case, Given your experience, both being a convicted felon and a CIA officer, what's your take on that case? I wrote an op-ed about a year ago in which I said, uh, well, in, in which they entitled it, uh, Don't Charge Donald Trump with Espionage or Anyone Else. Because I, I really believe that this is not why the Espionage Act was written. In 1917, it was written to combat German saboteurs. And beginning with the Obama administration, uh, White Houses uh, started using the Espionage Act as a cudgel to uh, to to attack uh, national security leaks, to attack whistleblowers. And they've put themselves in this policy corner where now everybody who reveals classified information has to be charged under the Espionage Act. This this was inevitable. They did this to themselves. When I say they, I mean I mean those those policymakers at the Justice Department. I, I think this is a wreck. I don't think Donald Trump should be charged with espionage, but I don't think anybody else should be either unless they're working for a foreign government. And correct me if I'm wrong, the way the Espionage Act is worded, unlike a lot of other crimes, you don't even have to have criminal intent to be charged right. or convicted under it, right? You're exactly right. And that was a precedent that I'm sorry to say was set in my case. Um, I certainly didn't have criminal intent. My intent was was to inform the public that the CIA was committing a war crime. And uh, in, in my case, Judge Leonie Brinkema in the Eastern District of Virginia said that she would not respect precedent 
uh, where other judges had ruled that the defendant had to have shown criminal intent to be prosecuted. She looked at me in the courtroom and she said, and I'll never forget her words. She said, Mr. Kiriakou, either you did it or you didn't do it. And I think you did it. And so that became the basis for all these cases. That's why no national security defendant has ever won a case in the federal district courts. That's why Donald Trump is in such deep trouble. The Justice Department should never have allowed this to get as far as it did, Mm. not just with Trump, but for pretty much anybody else that's been charged with espionage in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Speaking of uh, President Trump, the last time that we spoke on the radio, it was actually the final day of the Trump administration. And we were hoping that we were going to see a pardon, an 11th hour pardon of you by President Trump. I'm sure you've had a couple of years to look at this, to ask some questions, to explore this. Do you have any idea why you weren't the recipient of a Trump pardon? Oh, what a great question. Um, Yeah, I do. Um, You know, I have a lot of friends in both parties, well-connected friends in both parties. And um, uh, I befriended Tucker Carlson. He had me on his show a dozen times. He talked to the president about pardoning me. I hired a Republican lobbyist to push for a pardon. And then in the end, I didn't get it. And uh, Tucker told me that he had heard from somebody inside the White House that for whatever reason, I was tied to Ed Snowden and Julian Assange, that that Donald Trump was prepared to pardon the three of us. And when Mitch McConnell got word that this was going to happen on the final day of the Trump administration, he called the president and said that if he pardoned Julian Assange and Ed Snowden, he didn't mention me, but he said if he pardoned Julian Assange and Ed Snowden, that he would lose Republican senators in the in the Senate and they would uh, not support him uh, in in the um, on the Senate side of the of the impeachment process, wow. that he would lose that whole base. And I, I don't know why why we were all lumped in together. But when Trump dropped the idea of pardoning Assange and Snowden, he dropped the idea of pardoning me as well. Interesting. One of the things that we have heard a little bit about, especially in one of the lawsuits involving my uh, colleague and friend Rudy Giuliani, is this whole idea that essentially pardons were were for sale. And that's not an uh, allegation that's unique to the Trump administration. There was a lot of talk about that in the waning days of the Clinton administration, and I'm sure in a lot of other administrations as well. In your experience, since you actually hired a lobbyist to try and grease the skids a little bit for a pardon. Do you think there's any truth to that? Were there pardons for sale? I, that's a tough one. You know, I found myself in the, in the midst of all of that. Uh, I had a meeting with Rudy Giuliani here in Washington at the Trump Hotel, uh, and he, he didn't ask me directly, but he had an aide um, ask me for uh, $2 million. And I laughed and I said, first of all, I don't have $2 million. I'll never have $2 million. Secondly, why would I spend $2 million to recoup a $700,000 pension? Right. That's just, it doesn't make any sense. And I got up, I shook their hands, I walked out. Giuliani had excused himself to go to the bathroom, and his aide said, you don't talk about the pardon with Rudy, you talk about it with me, and I talk about it with Rudy. I said, that's fine. So nothing ever came of it. 
It was only recently in this um, in this civil suit that's been filed against him by a former aide uh, that she alleges that he told her he was taking these two million dollar fees for pardons and splitting it with the president. Now, I'll tell you, I've never been approached by the FBI. I've never been subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury. And that leads me to believe that the FBI, at least, does not believe the allegation that pardons mm-hmm. were for sale. Mm-hmm. And uh, based on some of the other things that were in that lawsuit, uh, I don't give uh, that particular former aide to Giuliani a great deal of uh, credibility. But uh, I had to no, ask the question. I thought it was I. interesting. Hey, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with John Kiriakou. He is the author of the new book, Lying and Lie Detection, a CIA insider's guide, which we're going to tell you about in just a bit. Since you alluded to the Julian Assange case, it's looking like he could be extradited to the United States in a matter of days or weeks. How do you think his prospects for a fair trial in the United States are? By the way, just a reminder to the audience, I've talked about this case a lot. Julian Assange is not an American citizen and has never been to the United States as far as I know, and yet he's going to be put on trial here for committing journalism. Give me your take on the Assange case and how it looks for him. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, The the guy is a journalist, and even if you don't believe he's a journalist, you have to acknowledge that he's a publisher. Um, I also have to agree that, um, at least uh, according to the people around him, he could be here in, it could be days, it could be weeks, but it's pretty much upon us. Um, There is still still a glimmer of hope. Uh, He can still appeal to the European Court of Human Rights, and there is a precedent, not just one, there are three precedents, where the European Court of Human Rights declined to extradite a British citizen. Uh, He's not a British citizen, but he's an Australian citizen, a five-eyes citizen, uh, to the United States because of the way the U.S. uses uh, solitary confinement. Uh, It's it's been declared by the United Nations as a form of torture, and uh, the European Court of Human Rights has objected to it. I wouldn't bet my paycheck that that happens. But the more important question is the first one that you asked there, I do not believe that Julian Assange can get a fair trial in the United States. Uh, he, he has been charged right here in the Eastern District of Virginia, uh, the, same, the same place where I was charged, where Ed Snowden was charged, where Jeffrey Sterling was charged, Daniel Hale, the uh, drone whistleblower, was charged. Again, no national security defendant has ever won a case there. And, uh, the, you know, they don't call it the espionage court for nothing. It's because uh, it's the home of the CIA. It's the home of the Pentagon. It's the home of dozens of intelligence community contractors, what we call beltway bandits down here. And his jury, were he to be extradited, would be made up of people who work or who have relatives or friends who work for the CIA, the FBI, the Pentagon, the Department of Homeland Security. He can't possibly get a fair trial. Not possible. You know, in my own case, you may remember this from an earlier conversation we had. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to hire O.J. Simpson's jury consultant. He happened to be my best friend's wife's uncle, and he did it for nothing. So he flew up here. We got him a security clearance. 
He went through 15,000 pages of classified discovery. And in the end, he said to me, look, if we were in any other district in America, I would say, let's go for it. We're going to win this thing. But the Eastern District of Virginia, you don't have a prayer. And he told me to take a plea. Innocent or guilty, it doesn't matter. If you're facing an espionage charge, you don't have a prayer. uh, That is so disconcerting and so awful. Talking with John Cariaco. The in the case against Assange, uh, it's being reported that the FBI is actually asking journalists of all people for help prosecuting Assange, potentially if there's a trial, even testifying in court. Now, that is a pretty wild precedent, isn't it, for the government, the federal government and the federal law enforcement agency to actually be seeking help from journalists and going after a fellow journalist oh boy is it and it and it smacks of desperation frank you know the the fbi's star witness in this case um is a is a an icelander uh, a young man who is a convicted pedophile and a convicted uh, embezzler and this is who they've rested their case on this is the guy that's supposed to carry them to victory. Now, can you imagine now that he's admitted that he's been convicted of, of buggering young boys and convicted of lying about his access to Julian Assange? Can you imagine them flying him from Iceland to be the star witness in the case against Julian? So they know that the case is weak, not just because, because uh, Assange is a, a journalist, not just because he never asked Chelsea Manning to uh, download the documents. Chelsea Manning did it on her own. Uh, But because their star witness has imploded. And so in desperation, they're having to go to other journalists who are protected by the First Amendment to make their case. It's, It's just unprecedented. Let me ask you about another uh, agency with uh, big initials that can intimidate people. Your former agency, the CIA, the CIA director, Bill Burns, apparently believes that the negative attitude towards Russia in the invasion of Ukraine could actually lead to a once in a generation opportunity to recruit Russian spies. Do you think he's right about that? Um, it's possible. We've seen things like this happen going back to the 1950s, where in periods where it looks like we're we're closer to war than we have been uh, at, at other points in the past, uh, Soviets and then after the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, Russians would reach out to us. Now, the way it used to work in the old days is a gutsy Russian, let's say, scientist would uh, would identify the, the car of an American diplomat and, and, you know, stick a note under the windshield wiper or something like that. It was very crude. Now uh, the CIA is encouraging Russians to contact them on, on the dark web and uh, using encryption keys and things like that. Or while they're overseas, uh, they, if you go on the internet, if you go on the CIA's website, even um, they'll tell you how to get in touch with the CIA using secure communications, hoping that you are a Russian military official, a Russian intelligence official, or the best of all, somebody who happens to be close to Vladimir Putin. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. One of the things that uh, that was reported, and I think it was disproved when the L.A. Times looked into this, but one of the things that was at least rumored about was that the CIA may have actually been behind implicitly or explicitly that attempted coup by the Wagner group in Russia. Is that something that you think is a possibility? Um, it's possible, certainly. Um, I, I think it's probably not the case just because uh, Prigozhin was somebody with a reputation as as being um, a loose cannon, somebody who was uh, difficult to impossible to control. And, you know, I think the CIA would have been more clandestine about it. Mm -hmm. This guy just he couldn't stop himself from speaking in public. He couldn't stop himself from speaking to journalists laying out his plans in advance for for all the media to see that that's just not the way the CIA would have coached him does the CIA in the 21st century routinely play a role in regime change abroad or attempted regime change and are there a couple examples that you can mention for folks if they do oh that answer is a big yes the CIA has uh, something called the covert action staff um, now there's a there's a bureaucratic process to this. Let's say let's say you you're a CIA employee, uh, Frank, and you you've got this idea that you want to overthrow the government of uh, of uh, whatever uh, Tajikistan, let's say, and uh, so you go to the covert action staff and you say I've got this idea, and they help you write the idea and put it in the proper formatting and such, and then it begins this odyssey. Your idea it goes to the CIA's uh, general counsel to make sure that it's legal. And if they deem it to be legal, it goes to the operational division. Do they have the resources to help you overthrow this uh, government? They say yes. Then it goes to the Justice Department. The Office of Legal Counsel there reviews it, makes sure that it's legal. They send it to the National Security Council uh, general counsel. He says, yes, it's legal. Then it goes to the uh, National Security Advisor. Now, this is where the policy uh, world comes in. Is it in the U.S. national interest to overthrow this government? If, they, if the National Security Advisor says yes, he signs it, goes to the president for his signature. Once it's signed, the White House keeps a copy, the CIA gets a copy, and the attorney general gets a copy of the signed order, and then the CIA goes out to overthrow that government. Now, it could, it could be something as, as minor as – you know, $100,000 to recruit uh, journalists to write propaganda, anti-government propaganda, pro-U.S. propaganda to help overthrow government. It could be 
uh, to provide weapons and ammunition and materiel to to set up a militia force to, you know, take over the prime minister's office and shoot the prime minister. It can be it can be anything. Uh, And you ask if this happens. Oh, it's happened repeatedly throughout history. And it's not classified. Much of this has been declassified. You can go onto Wikipedia and they actually have a master list of all of the covert action programs that have been implemented by the CIA to overthrow governments. The very first one was the Italian election of 1947. And you go through the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and it's like a laundry list of African and Latin American countries. Wow, uh, that uh, it's uh, and and that conduct still goes on. Uh, I know we can go back to the forties or the fifties, but that conduct still goes on today. Right, it wow. still goes on today. Now you have to be careful, right? You have to be careful because you always have to weigh the potential for blowback. Sure, blowback is if it goes bad or you get caught. You know how how's the government going to respond to this becoming public? And oftentimes, even if the overthrow is in U.S. national interests. Uh, the government will decide that the potential for blowback isn't worth the trouble. Talking with John Kiriakou, his new book is Lying and Lie Detection, a CIA insider's guide. John, uh, why'd you write this book? Who's the intended audience for this book? Well, you know, Skyhorse Publishing came to me, and I like these guys. Me too. I love those guys. They really are independent thinkers. Uh, and they um, they said, hey, we have an idea for a series. I, I had written a book for them called um, The CIA Insider's Guide to the Iran Crisis uh, in the second half of the Trump administration. And so they liked that. And they said, how about a, a how-to guide? I said, like what? How, how to do what? And they said, well, we're envisioning three books, CIA Insider's Guide to Lying and Lie Detection, uh, Surveillance and Surveillance Detection, and disappearing and living off the grid. And just as we signed this contract, COVID hit. So mm. I had nothing else to do but to sit <laughs> and think the big thoughts. <laughs> so that's what I did. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I was on a conservative uh, talk show uh, just as this book was coming out. And, um, and the host said, this has right-wing extremism written all over it. And I said, no. That's that's not the intended audience. The intended audience is, well, depending on the book, like the surveillance book, you know, are you do you think your wife's cheating on you? Maybe you want to know how to be discreet about following her around or following her boyfriend around. I show you how to set up the uh, observation posts and 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 I do exercises in this book and we talk about what surveillance is and what it means and what it doesn't mean and all that stuff. Disappearing and living off the grid, you know. So many people just hate the fact that that it seems all of our lives are on the Internet for everybody sure. to see. Sure. And it's it's not really possible to live off the grid like you could have in the 60s or even the 70s. But it's possible to go pretty quiet. And I talk about that a lot. Um, and then the third one, lying and lie detection, that was just kind of a fun one because, you know, we're, we're all lied to. Uh, through the course of the day. And I think the average person tells something like 15 lies a day. They're they're mostly minor lies. Oh, did you like the pot roast tonight? Oh, yeah, it was delicious, right? I mean, that's a lie. But is it a big lie? Is it an important lie? No. This tells you how to detect those big lies, those important lies, or how to lie with a straight face the way the CIA taught us to lie. 
You know, you you have to live a lie. I remember my uh, my first boss telling me at the CIA, "We're going to teach you to lie, and we want you to lie all day long, but never lie to your boss, never lie to medical, to finance." or to security, because they're the ones that can ruin your career. Mm. Try not to lie to your wife, he told me. But otherwise, you're going to be living a lie for the next 20 years. And he was right. So give folks a pro tip on lie detection. Uh, let's say they want to know if their spouse or their coworker or their child is is lying to them. What uh, What do they do? Well, there are a lot of things you can, you can look out for, like... Um, the most obvious is deflection. You know, we used, we used to have this saying at the CIA. It was even emblazoned on coffee mugs. Admit nothing, deny everything, make counter accusations. Right? That's, that's during interrogation. That's not to, to lie or to detect a lie. Um, it's just to protect yourself in an interrogation. But deflection is not just not answering a question, but not answering it and trying to change the subject. To do that repeatedly is indicative of a lie. Or little things like stuttering, or repeatedly licking your lips, or looking up into the air as if you're reading something as you're thinking of, a, of an answer. It's, it's a book full of stuff like that. Well, it sounds fascinating. I can't wait to check it out. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the film The Negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Kevin Spacey, but it's uh, right. it, it, it's quite yeah. good. It's quite good. And they do one scene in that where uh, Jackson is a pretty seasoned police officer, and he's explaining his tricks for lie detection. If people haven't seen that film or are unfamiliar with the scene, here's a clip. I want you to look me in the eye, Nibon, right here. Tell me, when did you find out Nate was investigating the fund? I first found that Nathan was conducting the investigation after I spoke with you after he was killed. You're lying. And I know you're lying. Oh, you know it, huh? Well, you read my mind, Roman, is that it? No, I'm not. I'm reading your eyes. The eyes can't lie. Didn't you know what I was doing? A quick lesson in lying. See, this is what us real cops do. We study liars. Example. If I ask you a question about something visual, like your favorite color, and your eyes go up and to the left, well, neurophysiology tells us that your eyes go in that direction because you're accessing the visual cortex. Therefore, you're telling the truth. If your eyes go up and right, then you're accessing the creative centers of the brain, and we know you're full of How about it, John? Is there any truth to that? There is. There is truth to it, actually. You know, in training, when they're teaching us about lying and lie detection, they show us uh, quite a long video clip of testimony before the Massachusetts State Senate. Uh, the president of the University of Massachusetts back in the 1990s um, had been the majority leader of the state Senate. And he also happened to be Whitey Bulger's brother. And he claimed that, you know, he didn't have any contact with his brother, that Whitey went bad and he went good and. And they just didn't have anything in common. They didn't have any contact. And when he was being questioned before the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee about whether or not he had contact with his brother, he said nine ways from Sunday that he didn't. But every time he said it, he would look up and to the right. Mm. And that was that was one of the techniques that the security guys and the polygraphers taught us to be on the lookout for 
when we were questioning people because he was clearly lying. And at the time, the FBI knew he was lying, but they just couldn't prove it by saying, well, he keeps looking up and to the right. Like, you and I know that's a lie, but it's not enough to stand up in court. Wow. Uh, that's good to know. All right. So I learned something there from Samuel L. Jackson. What about a tip on getting away with a lie, whether you're lying about the quality of a pot roast or needing to lie to your boss and saying you're sick when you really want to go to a baseball game? Not that anybody should do that. But if if there's a situation where you need to get away with a lie, can you give us yeah. one pro tip there? And again, we want to encourage people yeah. to buy the book, Lying and Lie Detection. But give us one pro tip. <laughs> the the easiest tip is to keep it simple. Keep it as simple as possible. You know that old adage that it's easier to tell the truth because you don't have to keep the truth at the front of your mind. You know the truth is the truth. With lies, you have to remember the lies that you're telling. And that can be hard, even for people trained in this kind of thing. And so the easiest thing to do is to keep the lie as simple as possible, to keep the lie consistent, and then to double down if you have to. Wow. Uh, like That's uh, good to know. Keep it simple. Don't elaborate. Don't add too much into that. All right. Before I let you go, have to ask you about a story that's gotten a lot of attention this week. Apparently, they discovered cocaine at the White House. I was of the opinion that the White House is a pretty secure spot and it would be difficult right. to do uh, to do something like get illegal drugs into the White House. Is this indicative of a serious security problem that they have over there? Um, it's indicative of a security problem. I'm not sure how serious it is. And, and I'll, I'll explain. I, I'm of several minds on this issue. First of all, you know, I, I worked with White House people for 20 years when I was in government, whether it was at the CIA or at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. These are the most arrogant people in America. They're smarter than you are, they're more important (laughs) than you are, and they think they can get away with murder. So, you know, I was thinking about this today. First of all, it has to be a man, because women tend to wear dresses, even today, and dresses don't have pockets. Now, another thing that we learned is that the, the little baggie of Coke was apparently found in the slat of a box that is set up outside every vaulted area, every every top secret secure area where you have to put your phone in, right? You can't take a cell phone into a vaulted area. It's a security violation. So outside of every one of these secure offices, there's this box with slats in it and you just stick your phone in a slat. Well, the Coke apparently was stuck to one of the phones. So it came out of somebody's pocket. It has to be a guy. Now, one of the things that they do in government, especially when you are cleared at the top secret SITK Gamma level, which we all were, is they tell you they can do random drug tests anytime they want. Frank, you know how many times I was drug tested in 20 years with a, a top secret SITK Gamma clearance? Zero times. Uh-huh. Zero. They just don't do drug testing. So, number one, maybe they should. Number two, that baggie had to have fingerprints or thumbprints on it, and um, you have to be fingerprinted as part of the top-secret security clearance process. So if they really wanted to find out whose coke this was, they could have done it you know, by the end of the day today. Really? So if they don't find out whose cocaine this is in a hurry, then they don't want to find out whose cocaine it is? 
absolutely right. Interesting, interesting. Uh, very quickly, you've said a great deal about torture and uh, torture at CIA black sites specifically. That is a big issue in a forthcoming uh, death penalty trial of Abd al-Rahim al-Nashiri. And this is one of the people that was implicated in the bombing of the USS Cole. And the judge, in his case, is going to decide whether the taint of CIA torture extended to this gentleman and well i don't want to call him a gentleman this terrorist when um he confessed at guantanamo bay what's your read on this situation should this confession be admissible in court i think no and let me preface it by saying abdurahim aneshidi is a very bad guy right he's a very bad man we know with 100% certainty that he was one of the masterminds of the USS coal bombing, resulted in the deaths of, of 17 U.S. sailors, right? Very bad guy. But if we're going to be a nation ruled by, you know, the, the Constitution and governed by the rule of law, um, then then it, it just can't be used against him. He, he's been denied constitutional rights. From the day he was uh, he was picked up in wherever it was we picked him up in uh, Dubai or Pakistan or wherever I don't even remember anymore. It's been so many years, twenty one years. Um, look, even if we don't like his politics, and we, even if we think or we know that he's a terrorist, which he is, that doesn't matter. He still has the same constitutional rights that everybody else uh, has, and uh, he was denied those rights. Mm. He was tortured into confessing. And I think we should use what we've been able to collect independently. But I don't think that his confession should be admissible. Finally, John, uh, I'm supposed to speak with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on this morning. And uh, he has been very vocal in saying that he believes the CIA played a role in the assassination of his uncle and maybe his father. I'm going to talk to him a little bit about it. But based on your knowledge of the CIA and your knowledge of those cases specifically, do you think there's any possibility that that occurred? Do you think the CIA may have played a role in one or both Kennedy assassinations? You know, it it makes me sick to my stomach to say it, but I I have to say, yeah, I do. Um, He and I have talked about this. He he told me something that I, I... I told him was historically significant and that I thought he had to, he had to talk about it more. He said that on the, on the afternoon of November 22nd, 1963, about an hour after his uncle had been assassinated, his mother went to school to pick him up early, take him out of school. And she brought him home. And when he got out of the car, his father was standing in the driveway speaking with John McCone, who was the CIA director. The Kennedys and the McCones were very, very close friends. Um, John McCone's wife had died of cancer, and the Kennedys were worried about him. So he had dinner with the Kennedys literally every single night. And when Bob Jr. got out of the car, he heard his dad say to McCone, tell me your people didn't do this. And McCone said, I don't know who did it. He did not say, my people didn't do it. My people couldn't have done it. My people would never do it. He said, I don't know who did it. Wow. I, you know, I, my, my own conclusion is that I can't imagine, I can't fathom that this would have been a CIA operation to kill John F. Kennedy. But I can absolutely see that there were 
senior elements of the CIA, senior CIA officers who hated John Kennedy for not providing them with air cover during the Bay of Pigs, who would have been perfectly happy to take him out. John Kiriakou, on that note, we're going to have to end it there. I hope people check out the new book, Lying and Lie Detection, a CIA insider's guide. It's available through Skyhorse Publishing on Amazon and wherever people buy their books these days. Always a treat talking with you, John. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. Thanks so much for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.